All right, who loves a summer barbecue as much as I do? Listen, if you want to impress everyone with some super yummy dishes, you need ButcherBox in your life. ButcherBox is my go-to subscription box that delivers high-quality meat and seafood to your door with free shipping always. And I'm talking high-quality cuts at an amazing value. 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. We are saving so much money every month with ButcherBox over going to the grocery store and buying meat and seafood and saving a lot of time. But get this, last month we saved nearly $200. I also love that ButcherBox curates these tips and recipes that are based on your box so you know what to cook. I made the most amazing steak with a basil sauce the other night. And oh, let me tell you, my friends all raved at how amazing it tasted. I'm definitely going to be pulling that recipe out. If you want great meat and seafood in your life, you need ButcherBox. Sign up for ButcherBox today by going to butcherbox.com etm and use code etm at checkout and enjoy your choice of bone-in chicken thighs, top sirloins, or salmon in every box for an entire year, plus get $20 off. Again, that's butcherbox.com etm and use code etm. Hi, NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast will give you practical knowledge you can use to level up your finances. I'm Sean Piles, and every week I sit down with NerdWallet's expert nerds to answer your money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. You'll learn how to manage your investments, understand your credit score and your tax bills, get pro tips for organizing your expenses and putting more money into your savings, and a whole lot more. Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money can help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about whether you're on track to meet your money goals. You'll get the clarity that you need to make smart money decisions with confidence so you don't lose out on what money can do for you. Plus, we keep our episodes short and sweet so you can get smart about personal finance faster than you can say high-yield savings account. Smart Money is the smartest way to get even smarter about your money. So listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow the show to download new episodes as they become available for free. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast soon. do believe that you have to be super careful right now to be pencil like to be go- do- getting into properties that if all the stars align literally are just not a, not a smart move right now so i think being conservative making sure you you underwrite or fancy way of saying analyze the the property makes sense uh, even a single family home i think that being a little more conservative right now makes sense having more cushion makes sense <laughs> Hey there, welcome back to the show. I am Shauna Game, and this is Everyone's Talking Money. And this is what I believe to be the best darn money podcast you will ever listen to. All right, I want to know, is real estate investing a goal you have for 2024? But maybe you don't know where to start. Well, you're in luck, because our guest, Liz Faircloth, will blow your mind with <laughs> some of the best and honestly, most practical real estate investing advice you need this year. Liz co-founded the Real Estate Invest Her Community, which is a platform to empower women to live a financially free and balanced life on their terms. 
and co-founded the DeRosa Group with her husband, Matt. She's also the co-host of The Real Estate Investor Show and co-authored the Amazon bestseller, The Only Woman in the Room, Knowledge and Inspiration from 20 Successful Real Estate Women Investors. So yeah, (laughs) you can say she knows a little something about real estate investing. So in this episode, Liz shares the biggest mistake you can make when investing in real estate, the best question to ask yourself to decide if real estate investing even makes sense for you, and the advantages that women have when investing in real estate. I'm even going to share a little bit of a real estate investing dream that I hope to bring to life soon. So I think just talking about it probably is it's a big step, right? You got to talk about these big goals before you actually bring them to life. Just another thing before we get into the episode, I am hosting a live virtual workshop called Spend with Intention for 2024. This workshop is a love letter to you and everything you want to do this year. I'll show you why you need to ditch your budget and create a mindful money plan. This will change how you do money forever. I also walk you through how to create intentional spending, balancing your emotions and feelings around money with all the stuff that you want to do. It is my best workshop ever, I think. So sign up by February 5th to reserve your spot at etmpod.link slash spend with intention. That's etmpod.link slash spend with intention or easier. Just head to the show notes for all the information. All right, let's dig into the conversation because there is so much good stuff that you need to know about real estate investing. Let's go. You know, we've done a lot of episodes on this show about investing in real estate. And with each new year, right, there are all these different challenges to overcome. We've just come out of the highest interest rates we've seen in a long time. The Airbnb market is saturated. A lot of investors are seeing um, you know, less than than uh, ideal returns uh, than they did in like 2020 and 2021. And, you know, th- there's just this, this, I don't know, it's like a kind of perfect storm that's happening now that's really making people think about this idea of investing in, in real estate. Is it good? Is it not? We're going to talk about that all. But I was reading in your bio that you say you're on a mission to transform lives through real estate. And I'm interested in this idea. I've always personally been interested in investing in real estate, but just, you know, haven't taken that plunge yet. Uh, so, So let's just start here. You know, how should we be thinking about investing in real estate this year if we really like that mission, right? We really want to use it to transform our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And that was our, that was a mission that I started with my husband back back you know almost 17 years when we first pur- purchased our our first property we didn't just want to buy property but we wanted to actually you know transform people's lives in the process and i know that seems like kind of hokey a little bit like oh transform lives but that's really that's really the work that you could be doing in in real estate investing you're creating homes for people right you're or you're creating office space for 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 commercial users or whatever the the user is um you know, I, I think it's an interesting market. It's an interesting market from the perspective, like I've been at this for 17 years. So I've seen lots of different interest rates. I've seen a lot of different, you know, elements going on. And then how do you, how do you thrive during that time? And I think a lot of people, especially women, because that's who I connect with every day with our community, um, they're nervous, right? They're just, the, the deals are not penciling out. Uh, I think what's happened, right? People still have in their heads during COVID, you know, the pricing has just not dropped quite yet where it needs to be dropped. And then the interest rates have gotten higher, right? So traditionally, 
it's getting, and I had to put 30, 30% down, right? Like the amount you have to put down. <laughs> so, and in the news, right? Especially when it comes to short-term rentals, you know, a lot of, a lot of areas are cracking down. A lot of bigger cities, right? Can be cracking down. I'm like, okay, what's the regulations here? So it's a, is a little bit, people are feeling a little uncertain. I do believe, you know, there's always real estate, and, you know, if you if you go head to head with I'm not a stock market expert, however, but if you go head to head and saying, OK, historically, is real estate as volatile as a stock market? I mean, there's just research after research that shows how much more steady real estate is as an investment <laughs> over time, of course. And so I do believe I do believe that you have to be super careful right now to be pencil like to be go- do- getting into properties that if all the stars align, literally are just not a, not a smart move right now. So I think being conservative, making sure you you underwrite or fancy way of saying analyze the the property makes sense. Uh, even a single family home, I think that being a little more conservative right now makes sense. Having more cushion makes sense. I don't I don't agree that it's not a good time to buy though. If you have and again because as interest rates have gone up, you have sellers that have also increased their distressed situations. So you're helping, again, creating a win-win, not taking advantage of people, but creating a win-win. I do believe there is an opportunity there, um, and especially as the new year kind of unfolds and whatever, if we're in a recession, we're, you know, we're deep into a recession, we're going to be in a recession, everyone's got a different opinion. Um, I think you can thrive if you are looking at how you can create win-wins. And I think the most important thing, Shannon, right now, Shanna, is, is really, are you solving problems? Because quite honestly, there's a housing a shortage across the country for affordable housing, meaning literally people being able to afford where they want to live. And how can you be part of the solution? And I know it seems like a big question, but I do believe you need to ask those questions of yourself. And how do I buy an investment property for my family? You know, where do people want to live? What's affordable? What's not affordable? You know, those kinds of questions. Okay, so so tell me, like, where do you think most people get it wrong when it comes to real estate investing? Like, what are they doing? Are they just not? They not have the tools to really like suss out if it if it makes sense. Are they letting emotions get in the way? Like, where do you see people really get tripped up? Yeah, I think the the first thing that I think is the biggest mistake is that people get so enamored with the property. They're right. talking about the property. They're you know, I'll give you a quick quick a story. Uh, met this gentleman at like this networking event because I found a, a duplex and I was really excited about it. And he's telling me about the numbers and I'm like, where is it located? Oh, it's in this town. I said, you want to rent it out to to nurses. That's awesome. Is there any hospitals around? It's about an hour away. I said, that might be a problem. And it seems so obvious as, as I'm saying it on, on on air, but he was so enamored and so obsessed with this property that he did not know the market. Then I asked him a uh, next question. What's the average rent for like, you know, uh, uh, you know, even if he was looking to do more of a long-term to, to, to nurses. I said, what's the average? I don't know. What's the, and then I just kept asking questions. He just didn't know. And that all has to do with the market. So number one is that people get obsessed with the wrong things. Not that you shouldn't be concerned about the property, but you really should know your market inside and out. So then you can move quickly when, when you're like presented with a property What's a good deal? What's a bad deal? If you don't know the market and the average, you know, average, you know, rental income for that type of property, and and uh, from a short term perspective, from a mid term perspective, from a long term perspective, you're not going to be able to assess. So I, I think people get a little, you know, enamored with the wrong things. I also believe that 
when you're when you're figuring out like is this going to work as an investment property people don't run it by the right people. You know, they'll ask the realtor who's never sold an investment property before, or they'll ask their uncle Bob who, you know, who does uncle Bob invest in real estate? So I just, you know, and that's why I, I believe so much in community and what we're up to is it's, it's about asking questions and getting support from the right people who are actually doing that right now. You know, not from a group of people who have never invested in, in, in investing in real estate. It doesn't make sense to me. So I think that's another big mistake that we ask people around in our circle or our neighbors, when in reality, we should be asking people who are doing what we want to do. So those are two big kind of mistakes off, off the bat. Um, what are some of the say? questions that we, that we should be asking to, like, especially for a newbie to know, you know, those numbers, to know the market, to know to be able to suss those things out. Yeah. And I would even take it a step back. Like if we were really to say when someone's listening to say, okay, I really like real estate. I want to invest in real estate. I think the the next actually best question before we get to market, before we get to the property, before we even get to the strategy, because there's a whole other piece there, is what is my time and my money availability? Meaning, do I want to be an active investor? Meaning, do I want to go find that single family home, figure out if I should uh, you know, uh, put it as a short-term rental. Do, do I have an interest in that? Do I have, you know, does that give me kind of like excitement? And do I have the time and the money and the, and the, and the bandwidth to do that? Do I want to do that? Secondly, if I don't want to be as active, are there passive routes? Meaning I can passively invest in real estate instead of parking my money in a, in a, in a CD and it making me what, you know, over time, it's probably in the negative. <laughs> so, you know, I think that's the big question though, that Shauna, not enough people are asking is that, you know, based on my time and my money and my kind of like interests, you know, what two paths can I take? Then you can get more refined. So then like go down the active path. Okay. I want to do this. I watch HGTV and I'm like pumped because I want to create some transformation and make money for, for my family. Okay, great. Now we can, we can speak to that. But I think, I think so many people actually can achieve their financial goals by maybe you know p- potentially going more on the passive route because they just don't have the interest they don't have the time and they think I either got to become a landlord or not even get involved in real estate when in reality there's there's another path so I just wanted to say that as almost like a prerequisite to the yeah, let's, um let's let's dive in there just a little bit tell yeah. me a little bit about I know we're kind of zigzagging here but but you know tell me about that passive idea because I would imagine there's probably a lot of people listening they're like okay that feels like a little bit more manageable especially to start off. Yeah, what are some no. Of those options. What I like about that option for people, because I am, a, I'm both just from my own experience. I'm an active and passive investor, and I've worked with so many passive investors over over time. Uh, in terms of you know getting into, uh, we we focus on large multifamily, um, and have, and so you know you're buying a ten million dollar property. I don't have 10 million in my pocket right now. You're going to work with others to be able to pull together money to do that. That becomes where you're bringing in passive investors. So, a couple of thoughts there. Number one, you know, what you can do there is if someone has some projects might be as little as 10,000, 25,000, 50,000, depends on the bandwidth or the project, right? Um, but a lot of projects, you can either become a partner in a sense, like a limited partner. So, you're protected with, say, Shauna, you go and buy a, a, a property or a hotel, and so you, you're putting a legal structure together to say you are the you're the general partner, if you will. You're the operator. You're you're making sure the construction's going, everything, and then all my role is is investing money in that project. And for that, I'm going to have a piece of that company and a piece of that property 
And there's like tax benefits of that because I technically own a percent of that building. So that helps me if I'm a high earner and I can have some potential write-offs. Um, so it's like you're an equity partner, like you're a partner with someone, but it's very limited in terms of what my scope is and my, and also what my, um, you know, we work with a lot of doctors, a lot of attorneys, and they do not want to, you know, be in something that they're going to get legally, you know, uh, in trouble about if something goes south with the project. So limited partners mean that very thing, right? You're limited on what you're responsible in terms of anything like that. Um, the other route, and there's a great book I'll, I'll mention, um, Lend to Live. Uh, it's by two women, uh, published by Bigger Pockets, and it's all about how you can actually become a private lender, just like a bank lends money out. There are a lot of people, and it's obviously uh, you have to protect yourself. There's there's pieces of the puzzle that are important. You don't just lend your money to your sister or anything. Um, but it's actually another strategy. Meaning, I lend you money to go do your project, and there's a promissory note. There's different things legally that need to be in place, but um, I'm not owning that property, but I'm lending it to you. And we're, you're going to pay me 10% for my money. Well, that's pretty good. You mm, know? Yeah. Um, again, if you know, if you have the right knowledge and you make sure you, everyone's protected, of course, um, and you're not getting in risky deals. And that book kind of goes through that. Um, that could be another, uh, another advantage for, for, for people who have that money to invest. Um, so I, I hope that helps. But those are like two roots, if you will, from a passive perspective. There's also REITs where you're going in more, you know, globally of projects um, versus having to like vet a syndicator. It's more ownership, right? What I'm suggesting is there's a little more of that onus on you, onus on you to say, okay, I got to really vet. And then we do a lot of content around that. What are the questions to ask? Those sort of things. So I want to talk a little bit about about your community because this is obviously you know a really important piece of of having community, especially if you're you know first time and you're trying to figure out you know how to get my training wheels you know yeah. off and and actually get on the bike and, and invest in real estate, if you will. So you co created the real estate investor community and podcast, and you know obviously you're, you're focused on helping women become successful real estate investors. I was wondering though. I don't know if you know this, but I thought it might be interesting to talk about. Do you know the history at all of of women investing in real estate? Like, is this a a newish trend, or you know, have women been been kind of doing this for years and years? Obviously, you know, we can look back in history. You know, I don't know, forty, fifty years, and there were a lot of limitations placed on women just in terms of getting bank accounts and credit cards and yeah. all of those sorts of wasn't things. Wasn't that so, long ago. <laughs> yeah, it was not that long ago. Not long ago. Crazy. So I don't know if you know any about anything about like the history of the, sort of the evolution of of women investing in real estate. Yeah. Well I think it's 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 a fascinating piece. Just five years ago, you know, I here I am and I can just kind of speak personally and then I'll kind of go through some of some of the current stats that we're seeing from an investing perspective. Um we would go to RIAs, we would go to meetings, we'd go, because, you know, here, my, myself and Andresa, before we, we co-founded Invest Her, we're partners, we were flipping properties, we were doing deals. Um, we go to events and we literally would feel like we're the only women there. We're like, what's going on here? We're not the only women, we just didn't know a whole lot of women. Uh, and that was five years, that wasn't that long ago. And so even when we said we're going to start a podcast, I had a gentleman say to me, I don't think there's that many investors. So you might run out of women to invest. I'm like, I, I, we have not. 400 episodes later, we have not run out of women. I do think traditionally when people think of an, of an investor, they think of, of a white male on Wall Street. I think there is still that level of 
and, and then you start to do like the, 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 a family breakdown, you know, and again, in a traditional family, who does what? And so statistically though, it's interesting. Women, it's like, a, I think it's like at 80 or 90% who control the, the percent, I think it's pretty high. I think it's on the 90% yeah. who control the finances, almost like the CFO of the family. It's a very common role. So it's not that women are not even touching money. It's just that that's, that's one of their, one of the, the biggest percentages. And then you think about the buying power of women. Um, then it goes to investing and the confidence of women investing shoots down significantly. So when it comes to any sort of conversation or any action, when it comes to investing seems to be fairly still male dominated. And I think it's, uh, the confidence level is almost like in a 29 percentile of women feeling confident to invest. Period. Why? Why is that happening? Like, wh- what's that disconnect? You know, it's it's an it's a fascinating. I have theories. I I, I still you know I, I I have theories as to why that confidence is lower. I I, I think it does come back to um, socialization. What we've been handed down. My mom wasn't this like you know real estate uh, mogul. You know, and a lot of I think the g- generations have impacted. Uh, what we see our role to be, you know, in terms of yeah. uh, of the, of the feminine reality, role, yeah. you know, and I and I do think we need examples. So that's why we're so you know mindful of different types of women investing and talking about the money they make and their net worth versus just you know the pair of shoes they're going to go buy. And that's great, go Godspeed if that's your thing. But we want to talk about other things, right? And and so I do think the confidence though. Then you start to dig in terms of some of this research and some of this, just the general, you know, uh, situation. And I think women, and again, this is like goes back to like research from from girls and, and what they do in the classroom. Women don't raise their hand if they're not one hundred and ten percent sure that they have the right answer. If then then they do the same study with a group of boys, and this is not my opinion. This is research. They raise their hand and they get the answer wrong. I'll go up to a gentleman at a networking event. I said, how are you doing? He's like, I'm killing it. I got five properties. I said, that's great, Joey. And then I go up to a woman. I said, how are you doing? Oh, I'm just getting started in real estate. How many properties do you have? I have five properties. And I'm not even making that up. That is literally, they have the same <laughs> yeah. amount of properties. One of the women in my group, one of, my, one of the women in my mentorship group said it on her sheet. She goes, I'm dabbling in, in raising capital for my real estate projects. I've only raised $10 million. <laughs> Dabbling? That's not dabbling, honey. So again, I think um, I think women tend to be a little more cautious, a little more conservative, and they make they actually outperform men as investors, though. So I think once women get the confidence, they go and they make it happen. It's I think getting over the hump of the knowledge, the community, and the support to say, you know, I want to create generational wealth. I don't need it because of a Ferrari, but I need I want it because I want to pass it down to my to my children. I think that's what most pe- women do want who are in our space. Yeah. Yeah. And I want, I, I want to ask you about that because you, you did a podcast episode recently and you talked about, you called it the four secret advantages that women have as investors. And you talk about how women are just better, better investors. Tell me a little bit about, um, you know, we, we talked about the confidence piece obviously being something that that hinders women, but what are some of the advantages that really play into women having success and being able to build this generational wealth? I think it's it comes back to like win-win and and no e and less ego, I mean, to be frank. And I think I see women negotiating with homeowners. Um and 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 they'll go in, and it's not like 
how can I get literally the best deal and take not and, and take advantage of these homeowners? Not a lot of women come that from that place. And I'm not saying all men do, and that's that's totally general and not fair. I do think though there's a level of when there's just like a win-win advantage that women come from. I, that's and again, is that ingrained? Is that nature nurture? I mean, that's a whole other conversation. But you see them coming from the space of how do we we make this work, and then the, the, that's where great deals are had because the 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 homeowners like you know what I don't really want to own this home anymore. I don't really want to sell it because I'm going to get hit with taxes, and then they create there's some creative financing. You see women really successful at like it's called seller financing, where in essence the person wanting to sell holds the note and it's it's very legal it's very uh very strategic way to to get to, to move ahead with someone with with property buying but it's um i've seen so many women be successful with it because you're almost like thinking about the homeowner and you're thinking about your own needs and you're trying to create that win-win opportunity i think that's an advantage for women i also think that um because women don't raise the hand as fast as 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 again you know we we're t- sharing with earlier once they do a deal, it's usually the right deal, right? So that's an advantage, okay. meaning, yes. you know, they really are pulling the trigger on the right deals. Now, sometimes, again, to the extreme, it's a paralysis by analysis. But in a good way, it's like once they make that call, it's usually the right decision. I, I really believe that. Um, I think another advantage, I think another advantage is that women are also come from the, a lot of the women, they come from a place of like wanting to do this for like a bigger reason. Versus it just dollars and cents, and, you know. And I think from a community perspective, impacting the community, uh, legacy building, generational wealth, um, showing their kids that they can have a different lifestyle or create something bigger than this themselves. Like these are the reasons women their why that we hear. It's not just this. I don't want to say you know. Um, it's not just this one little. Oh, I just want to make some more money. Yes, and it's a lot bigger than that. Yeah, I think a d- that deeper go- purpose, deeper, and I think that goes a long way. When when you know it hits the fan, you, there's this like ability to not give up and to keep kind of pers- being persistent. Um, that's what I've seen from the women in our community, um, but very holistic, I'd say, and also very creating this win win. It could come from that. And I think that's a huge advantage in this business. I have to tell you about my new obsession, Notion, our sponsor today. Notion has single-handedly changed how I do life for the better. I use Notion for all my daily journaling so I can keep it all in one spot. I also keep all our favorite recipes that are budget-friendly in Notion so I can easily sort and find the ones I love and easily create fast grocery lists. And okay, one of the best uses of Notion You can create a template for your money dates and track your goals right in Notion. Seriously, Notion is a game changer. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organize, and rediscover the joy of play. It's a workspace designed not just for making progress, but really getting inspired. It's an AI-powered workspace. It turns knowledge into action. You can use Notion to summarize meeting notes and auto-generate action items, get answers to questions in minutes. And you can make all of your money tasks so much easier. Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company, freelance designer, starting a new startup, a student juggling classes and clubs, or just somebody really wanting to get your life together. Try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash etm. That's all lowercase letters. 
Notion.com slash ETM and start turning ideas into action. And when you use our link, you're supporting our show. Notion.com slash ETM. So tell me, what are your money goals that you have for this year? Maybe you're like me and endlessly looking for a house to buy and you're focused on saving for a down payment or you're drooling over traveling somewhere tropical this year and you want to save to pay for it or you're ready to leave your job and build your own business. So you're going to need some startup funds. Whatever your goals are this year, Monarch can help you reach them. In fact, the Wall Street Journal named Monarch the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress towards financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. What I love about Monarch is its simple and easy customizable design, so the dashboard can look exactly the way you want it to. I'm also a big fan of creating custom budgets for things like travel. It's one of my favorite money tips, and Monarch lets you do this so easily. This is such a great way to stay motivated when you've got a lot of money goals. You can easily track your progress with every dollar that you save or spend. Remember, your brain loves to see progress, and you should celebrate it when you're saving money. And honestly, I am so focused on privacy, so I really admire that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties. This means a lot to me, and it should mean a lot to you as well. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of the show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. I know I'm a bit biased, but honestly, I think I have the best dog ever. Her name is Winnie Stardust. She is a golden mountain doodle, and she is full of spunk and fun, and she's never met a ball she does not love. I honestly, I would do anything for Winnie, and she has enriched my life so much. I can confidently say Winnie is absolutely one of the most priceless purchases I have ever made. Today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. In today's world, we insure a lot, from cars and homes to cell phones and even travel plans. But what about insurance for your cat or dog? With ASPCA Pet Health Insurance, you can focus on the care your pet deserves and cover what matters most. This is what I call smart spending because... Let's be real, those vet bills, they can be expensive. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program, they've been around for about 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure your pet's plan is unique as they are. Because vet bills, they can really add up, especially when you are least expecting it. It's simple. You use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTC Insurance Agency Limited. 
The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. All right, Liz, it's time to play the your relationship with money is game. Okay. So first question, if you had to describe your relationship to money as a cartoon character, Ooh. who would it be? Cartoon character. Oh, that's a good one. I I, I first, I love, uh, I sometimes have this like thrifty way about with money. I have a little bit of like this thrifty relationship with money uh, where I'm thrifty, but then I, then I, then I splurge sometimes. So what, what, what character would that be? Um, so random. I don't know why Betty Boop is coming to my head, but I don't even know if she did yes. that, had that relationship, but I, she came to my head for whatever reason. <laughs> I love it. We'll go with it. We'll go with it. All right. Question number two, how many times a day would you say you think about money? Hmm. I would say at least, because it's in my business, right? It's in our, our world. I'd say at least five to 10. All right. Question number three. If you had an endless supply of money, where would be the first place you would spend it? I'd buy a lot of real estate, of course. Um, after I invested it, I would, I would invest. I would give a percent of it away. I'd, I'd enjoy a percent as well. Probably go to uh, Love Costa Rica. Uh, I have not been to I have not been to Italy. It's one of my one on my bucket list. So I do a lot of traveling. But I would do those three things. I'd spend, I would invest, of course, mostly in real estate, maybe a business or two, and I would um give a lot of it away too. All right, question number four. What is one money secret you have that maybe you haven't shared with a lot of people? It doesn't matter how much you make. It matters how much you keep. You know, and I don't know if that's a secret or not, but I don't None of people think that way. I think I think more people thought that way that actually be more wealthier than they are. This is Chris Christensen from the Amateur Traveler podcast. The Amateur Traveler podcast is about the love of travel. It's about where to go and why you should go there. We're going to open up to you different destinations you haven't heard of or places you have heard of but things you didn't know to do while you were there. Each episode is about 45 minutes long, and it's typically an interview with someone who wrote the guidebook on that destination or who has been there or who's a local tour guide or someone who is an expert on that destination and knows how to tell you what to do to get the most out of your precious vacation time. So if you value your vacation time and you want to use it wisely, listen to Amateur Traveler and learn about destinations both domestic and international, places you've heard of and places you haven't. Amateur Traveler has almost 900 episodes talking about different destinations. So if there's a place you want to go, odds are we've already covered it and can help you plan a trip there. Amateur Traveler, subscribe today. Want to know the number one money question I'm asked? It's how to get started investing without being overwhelmed. So if you're asking yourself the same question, then you have to check out the Investing for Beginners podcast. The hosts, Dave and Andrew, they break down investment terms and strategies in a way you can finally understand. I love that they're making investing accessible and they have an entire podcast dedicated to helping you invest better. Even if you're not ready to start investing, they explain the stock market and financial updates so you can really understand what is being said on the news. If you're ready to learn more about investing, I'd recommend you start with two of my favorite episodes. Listener Q&A, how do you start investing with a thousand bucks, where they explain how you get started right away. 
and back to basics of building our portfolio, where they explain how to build a portfolio from scratch. The Investing for Beginners podcast is a great way to start expanding your relationship with money. Find Investing for Beginners podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. So I want to talk a little bit about the the money part of investing in real estate because I know that's the part that that stumps a lot of people and a, a little bit about like realistic expectations. I was wondering if you have like an example or, you know, case study or like anything you could run us through of um you know, like how much money you made or what did it look like or how yeah. much money did you have to put down or like, you know, all of those like behind the scenes details that we really want to know <laughs> that we don't, uh, that we don't Talk find about. out. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it, you know, I think for, for a lot of people, they're just, you know, they want passive income. It's really not passive because you're actually doing something to, to, to gain that. And the, 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 they're not analyzing it properly. Uh, we just sold a, an office building. Shauna and I want to I could share a little bit about that. So Yeah, that'd be great. This this office building was purchased 15 years ago, right? So I was a different investor at the time and I and I'd love to almost share some of my mistakes cuz I I learned a lot. My husband and I found this building. It was a 10,000 square foot building, vacant. Uh it had a had a one organization in it. It had a nonprofit, but they were moving and they were looking to sell it. Uh we bought it for 525,000. Now, at the time, my husband and I didn't have a whole lot of money. We had some, we actually took a line of credit. Now, again, this, you got to remember, this is 2000, right? 2005? No, it's a little past that. It was probably 2006 when it was still like you could do anything yeah. for any price, right? So, yeah. so, so please know that that's your property. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a little bit of a different time than now. But, you, you know, but at the time, we got two lines of credit on both of my, my, par- my parents, uh, only home they own and my, my in laws. So again, my, the, you know, my family didn't just like lend us money, but they said, here, you know, we can, we can work with you on these lines of credit, which at the time now in hindsight, I'm like, would I do that to my kids? I don't know about that, (laughs) but that's another story. My, our, our, our family really uh, trusted us and I'm very grateful for that. But anyway, we took lines of credit. We, we had to put about a hundred, because again, we had pretty high levels that may not be everyone's story, but we, we put about a hundred thousand dollars down on this property. Right. But again, it came from lines of credit. Um, it wasn't just for, you know, cash waiting, but it's not a, an, un, 
it could be a hundred grand. It could be depending on the property, right? So we knew we had to put money into the property. We actually, um, at the time, I can't remember how much our construct, we were going to get a construction loan of about a hundred grand or so at the time, because it needed to, you know, needed a bunch of work. It's a big building. Now, mind you, this is Trenton, New Jersey, which is a, you know, capital of, of, of New Jersey. And if we had done our own market analysis, again, we got enamored with the property. We started to do like the dollars and cents and said, okay, by square foot, we can probably make X dollars every month. And then we're like, we're going to get $5,000 in cash flow. <laughs> and we were so excited and like, done deal, like check it off. We're going to be like out of the rat race. Well, as soon as we buy the building, the market crashed in 2008. <laughs> of course. Uh, and, and, and we're in a market that there's not a whole lot of people who wanted to rent a 10,000 square foot building. Like, so we are literally in like the biggest, like, what do we do? Right. And like anything, you cannot just, I mean, my parents' lines, lines of credit was in this building. Right. So it wasn't even like, Oh, I'll just forgo that money. And this, we just have more money coming. Like this is, this was it for us. And, and, and quite honestly, my parents only home they own. So it's a big deal. Um, we figured out that this building, what it really needed was to be split up into small office use. And this was kind of before like all the different, you know, I don't mm-hmm. want to say we Co-working. work because we work yeah, went right. bankrupt, but um, other places where they, you know, they rent out little office space. And so we said, this is needed. And we talked to people in the community. So long story short, we uh, broke it up into uh, 18 tenants. Um, and that was an undertaking. Uh, we needed more construction dollars. I think we almost had like, we needed to borrow another 50 grand. So we were in, in it for like 150,000 so to speak. And so, you know, again, this is a, a loan we got after we purchased it. So we're, we're managing it ups and downs for 15 years. Um, we ended up selling it to one of our tenants just this year and we sold it to our tenant for 925,000. Now we ended up putting a lot of money into it, uh, a couple, you know, we, we profited 175,000, but I will say that we never made money over the 15 years really cash flow wise. And I'd also say, excuse me, <clears throat> this was one of the toughest projects we ever did because we literally didn't analyze the market the way we probably did. But even that we didn't analyze the market, we figured out what the community needed and wanted and we gave and we created that. And then we worked really hard to um, you know, to 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 fulfill on that and and we stuck with it. We didn't we didn't know who was gonna buy this building from us. It was again, people weren't lining up to buy right. a ten thousand square foot building. <laughs> But when you're when you're when you have a challenged property and you're figuring out the dollars and the cents, you really want to think about who would buy this property one day, who and why. And if you can't come up with a good reason, that's a problem because you're not going to hold it for the. You might hold it for the rest of your life, but you may not. So uh, that became something I didn't think about when we started. But exit is important to think about as well. Did that did that project, like, even with all of its like complications, and you know you're in that terrible like you know basically the next like depression period kind yeah. of in the U.S. and all of that. Yeah, how did you stay motivated to continue to invest in real estate like beyond that project? And the funny thing too, uh, Shauna, is that I quit my job as well. <laughs> of course, right? right? Of course. <laughs> so we had like not that much in savings, and I'm like, what was I thinking? Um, and I ended up, but I ended up going back to my job to 2010, just because I'm like, this is, this is too intense. I think there's a lot of pieces. I think, I think in life people pivot too quickly or they quit too quickly. Um, I, you know, 
we had a few single family homes. We had about 30 units that were not cash flowing as well as we wanted them to. And then we had this office building. That was our portfolio. Then we started to go all in on one thing and start to get like a, almost like a proof of concept, meaning where are we having success? Are we having any success? And what we, where we were having success was with small multifamilies, like a duplex. We'd go, we'd renovate it's it with yeah. the team, and then we'd refinance it. And then we did it with one partner. They were like, this is working. And then we've, you know, we've scaled that part of the business. So I think for me, what helped us not give up is that we were having, some things were working, some things were not working. And so you constantly are looking at yourself in the mirror to say, I know we could do this. We just need to make some changes. And like, what are we learning? What are we not continue doing? So right now, all we do is invest in large multifamily. And we're starting to diversify uh, slightly, but I'm very cautious of, of doing that with the wrong partners because I, I don't want to have happen what, what has happened to us. So I think not giving up. And also, my we had family's money involved in these projects, that project in particular, right? So I could have just been like, well, we can just foreclose on the property. And this is like, you know, my parents' single family home that me and my sister's are probably the owners of, right? Big deal. Uh, you know, my parents are around, great, but God forbid something happened. That's a problem for for siblings. So we really ha- were very motivated to get this all paid off and they're both paid off with their lines of credit. That's completely, you know, done. But that's that's so, what helped us not give up is the big picture, going all in on your success, wherever that's happening and start to really shed what isn't working and just promising yourself not to do that again. So, you know, we're we're in 2024. You know, what do you think some of the like big themes, trends like, you know, in terms of in, specifically investing in real estate? Yeah. Like if if we're for a newbie, like what are the things you think we should like pay attention to? I think there's, you know, COVID was such a powerful time in in where people are living where they want to live, right? They're moving where they want to live versus having to live there for a job. I think what that did and you're seeing this trend big time, uh, co-living space, um, you know, people like reducing size of homes and really being more simple. Um, you're seeing more experiences in like the, the, the hotel hospitality industry. So people are, are, are living there, they're commuting together, they're connecting. I think there's this level of community that people are really thirsty of. And then not just for single people, right? You, you see these families, you, you see it all over. I think. I think the idea that it's just the real estate is is not is the problem. Meaning you can't just think, okay, dollars and cents, this is a property and I'm going to make this return. I right. think it has to be doing something else. I think there there's has to some, be a story, right? There's like a story there's a, there. Yeah. There's an experience there. I think um I I do think leaning into that especially with if you think of like short-term rentals that's hospitality ultimately, right? It's it's a it, you're 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 you know, it's not just like a I I do more like large multifamily. But even at that, what community building are we doing? We're doing garden. What's going to keep people here? It's not just, I don't think, I don't believe people are making uh, rental decisions and buying decisions in real estate just because of the money. It's bigger than that now. And it's bigger than that when I even started investing. So, you know, I'm very, we're, we're looking at a couple of projects right now, like a boutique hotel that creates this really powerful experience. There's a good friend of mine who has a, a boutique hotel in Philadelphia, and um, it's it's every room is named after a different woman who've been a trailblazer. Ooh, yeah. And then, like when women commune together or they're connecting together and networking, 
it's got this really cool historical feel to it. I, I think that, that stuff matters right now. Even if you go, you know, like, oh, I don't want to buy a hotel or I'm not saying that, but even on the small level of doing a short-term rental or, 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 or a single family home that you're going to rent to a family, I do think the, the, the story and the experience is part of the buying decision and the renovating decision more than ever. And again, depending on your clientele, but I do think that matters. And I think that's going to be a trend that doesn't decrease. It's only going to increase. I have a secret, um, I don't know what you call it, desire, want, wish, dream. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, <laughs> We're going to make it of, happen. Yeah, of, of um, creating like a, whether it's like a boutique hotel or, you know, taking like an old motel and like, you know, renovating, but really creating that experience um, is something that it just has always been on my heart. And it's funny, my husband and I will like watch a show or something on TV where they've, you know, remodeled something and then we'll, We'll sit and think about like all the things we want to do and like all of the experiences. But I think it really does matter. And I love that, you know, thinking about investing in real estate from that perspective and not getting just stuck in the numbers piece is um, like a really important lesson, I think, for everyone, you know, listening to, to infuse your creativity and your personality and think about what would you want to have an, an experience, you know, in, in crafting that is just, it's just such great advice. And, yeah. and even you know, it comes I, in like the communication of like the, 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 before the, before the actual stay, if you will, or event. And then after, and like, what are you, what are you doing to, to communicate to people? Because this is going to impact your reviews. This is going to impact their experience. This is going to impact them telling other people that all matters now. It, it, again, it's not just like apples to apples. It's like, hmm. How was they treated? You know, and and that that matters right now, especially when it comes to experiences. And I would imagine there's probably a lot of people listening that are, you know, in my shoes. Like they want to do this, they really do, you know. But maybe they're they're stuck. Whether it's the thinking or the money or the not knowing or you know all the different things we talked about. As we wrap up, like tell me, you know, what are what are our like first steps? Like where do we go from here? We've just listened to this conversation. Like yeah. how do we? take what we've heard and kind of go further in in this journey. Yeah, and and, and not just to self-promote our community, but I think being part of that, being part of a community that has 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 people like you doing what you want to do and experiencing the challenges and having the questions. Uh I had a woman just yesterday in our Facebook community say, "I had a goal of buying my first investment property this year and I didn't do it, and I'm really beating myself up." Is anyone else having the same struggle? I mean, the, the thread of that comment was huge. And I don't think she's alone. But now, will that help her through this hump and how she sets herself up for success? Absolutely. Versus her just like, real estate doesn't work. I'm going to go back to whatever other, other subjects. So I think surrounding yourself, getting the support and not knowing it's, I always say it's not enough to know something. It's the community that's going to help you feel more confident, like, like take that confident action. So for three, three steps, like say, for example, Shauna, you want to buy that motel. Like, let's use you an example, right? I would definitely get connected. We, and also we have invest her meetups across the country. So these are local groups of women that are getting together. Again, whether it's invest her or whether it's a local real estate group, you want to find people who are doing what you want to do. Find them, connect with them. And, and again, I'm, I'm tired of women saying, well, I have nothing to give to them. Why would they want to give me any advice or help me? It's give and get. You know, that's what the beauty of networking is. So, but finding people who are doing what you're doing, 
one, you can potentially um, connect with them. Two, you can add re- you can add resources to them somehow. Whether it's hey, let me be part of this project, and for that, I will help you. I'll be part. You know, I'll have this role. I ha- I can be part of the money side of it. I mean, there's a lot of creative ways you can join forces. Um, but it's about taking action and getting to know the people that have done full cycle what you want to do. And then the barriers to entry usually are time, money, and and, and lack of knowledge. So you want to say, how do I mitigate the risk here? So baby steps. You know, for for you, finding someone who's already done a project like that, could you invest a small amount of money in a project of someone you really admire, local, doing what you want to do? Because for that, not only will you make a return on your money, more importantly, you're going to learn what they're doing. You're going to get the behind the scenes of that eight to 10 unit. And there's people like that everywhere that are very trusted who are looking for additional resources so they can make that these more of these projects happen. Um, if I had to do it over again, I would have done that hands down. I don't know if I would have bought a 10,000 square foot building. I probably would have taken that money and invested it with somebody I admired, small amount, not all of it, and learned from them on their dime, not my dime. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. Um, but it's about taking those those baby steps, learning, growing, and mitigating your risk, but not being stopped either. So what do you say? Would you come stay at my motel if I decided to open one? Okay. While that might be a few years out, Liz's advice in this episode is so on the money. I think it is so practical and relevant. And I love how she talks very honestly about the market this year and why you really, really, really need to know your strategy and just the market in general before you make a move. I still believe in my heart of hearts that real estate investing is one of the best ways to grow wealth. I have seen it time after time after time, but you need to know the plan before you make the leap. So if you want to continue to learn from Liz, I would highly suggest it. You can check out her podcast, The Real Estate Investor Show, and join the Real Estate Investor community. I will have links to all of that in the show notes, as well as links to our episode sponsors who make this show possible. Just a quick reminder, be sure to snag your spot in my live virtual workshop, Spend With Intention. It's going to be on February 7th, and it is going to be so amazing. I would just absolutely love to have you there. You can head to etmpod.link slash spendwithintention or just find the link in the show notes. So thank you so much again for checking out this episode. If you enjoyed it, if you know somebody else who is interested in investing in real estate, send them this episode right now. Tell them this is what you need to know for 2024. I'll see you right back here in a few days for a brand new episode. (music) 